One thing as a reminder, when service is over, for those of you with little kids, we had some wanderers last week, and we can't do that. So make sure your kids stay within the field for sure. Closer to you, the better. So if they stay off the infield, for those of you that don't understand baseball, that's on the other side of the dirt here. And for sure, they cannot go on the other side of that fence. So we had some kids in, in different spots and not safe. So make sure your kids stay closer to you. God willing, we are going to wrap up this series on the Holy Spirit next Sunday. And then the plan is to pick up where we left off in the book of 1 Corinthians but we come tonight to part five of this series that is entitled The Promised Presence, focusing the identity and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? Those are the kinds of questions that have been the driving force behind these sermons. There is one God, and this one God, He exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian... Well then, before the world was created, God the Father decided that He would save you. Then roughly 2,000 years ago, God the Son, He came into the world as a man whose name was Jesus. And He lived a perfect life, and yet He suffered. And he died on a cross to pay the price for your sin. And then one day in your life, God the Spirit came. And he opened your heart and he opened your mind to grasp God's great love for you. So this is God the Father, this is God the Son, this is God the Spirit, all at work to save you. And when the Spirit of God came and opened your heart and opened your eyes, you believed. And you loved God back. And you were forever saved from sin and to God. Now, Christian, the Holy Spirit, as the promised presence of Christ, He is in you. He is actually in you now. And He is self-effacing. Meaning that He is not drawing attention to Himself. The Holy Spirit is not in you to draw attention to Himself. Look at me. Look at me. Look what I can do. Look what I can do. Rather, 
He is in you like a spiritual signpost pointing you to Jesus. He is directing your attention to Jesus. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus says. This is what Jesus has done. Jesus himself told us in John 14 and 15 and 16 that this was going to be the ministry of the Holy Spirit to point us back to Jesus. John 14, 25. Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. John 15, 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me, Jesus says. In John 16, verse 13, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, Jesus said. For he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. So we have considered in the past few weeks how the Spirit of Christ in us means at least three things. It means fellowship with Jesus. It means that we have constant communion with God. It also means transformation. We talked about this last week. That is that we are being made more like Jesus. And now tonight, the indwelling presence of Christ means assurance of Christ's love. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit we're talking about. This is what the Holy Spirit does. And much of this, unfortunately, is today the underrated work of the Holy Spirit. And yet it is clearly His primary ministry. He is in you as the promised presence of Jesus Christ. That means that you have constant fellowship with God. That means that He is transforming you. He is making you more like Jesus. And it means tonight that He is bringing you assurance. And He is assuring you that Jesus loves you. Listen. It is one thing to be loved by Jesus. It is another thing to know you are loved by Jesus. It's another thing to experience the love of God. It is another thing to be certain. As certain as you are about anything that you are a child of God. So we will see 
the Spirit's role in this in Romans chapter 8. But first, let's commit our time to prayer. Will you please bow your heads with me? Our Father in heaven, give us understanding tonight so that our hearts will be opened to you and to others. For those who are anxious, for those who are filled with doubt, assure them of your love tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, and we'll get there in just a few minutes. I'll be preaching tonight under three headings. If you're taking notes, those three headings are very simple. Number one, what assurance is. Number two, where assurance comes from. Number three, how assurance is secured. So what it is, where it comes from, how can you get it or get more of it? So let's begin with that first heading, what assurance is. And let's work through a definition so that we understand what it is we're talking about tonight. So Christian, you have, and we talked about this last week if you were here or weeks ago, you have been saved that is, you have been justified. You have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and He has declared you a child of God, forgiven of your sin. So you have been saved. And, Christian, you are being saved. Which means that God saved you, but He's not done with you. He is transforming you. He's making you more holy. He's making you more like Jesus. You've been saved. You're being saved. And not only that, you will be saved. And that refers to your glorification. That will be the, the final product. That will not happen until you are with God in heaven. But there, you will be without sin. And you will be, the Bible says, you will be perfected. You will be like Jesus. You will be without sin. So, you have been saved, Christian. You are being saved right now. And one day, you will be saved. Now, certainty of this is called assurance. Certainty. You are sure. You are convinced. You are without doubt. You know that you have been saved by God. You know that you are being saved by God. And you know that you will be saved by God. You have no doubt. You're not wondering. You're not fearful that you lost salvation yesterday. That you might lose it tomorrow. That God saved you. But He'll get sick of you. He'll get rid of you. Assurance is not that. Assurance is a certainty that you are a child of God. 
1689 Confession, the, the London Baptist Confession, it defines assurance in chapter 18, paragraph 1, as this. Those who truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love Him sincerely, endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before Him, may be certainly assured in this life that they are in a state of grace. J.C. Ryle, the great English pastor, said it this way, Assurance is a positive gift of the Holy Spirit bestowed without reference to men's bodily frames or constitutions and a gift which every believer in Christ ought to aim at and seek after. Here it is described in a few passages of Scripture. Isaiah 32, 17. And the effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. There's an assurance there. Or in Hebrews 6, 11, We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope till the end. Chapter 10, verse 22 of Hebrews. Let us draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith. That is certainty that I am His and He is mine. Here's some examples of it expressed in the Bible. Job expressed it in chapter 19, verse 25. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, that is, after I die, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Not, I hope I'll see God, maybe I'll see God, I shall see God. 1 John 3.14 We know that we have passed out of death and into life. 2 Timothy 4, at the end of Paul's life, verse 7, he says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, he will award it to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved His appearing. Do you have that confidence? Do you have that kind of confidence today? Could you talk like that? Or would there be maybes in there? Would there be I hope in there? Would there be I'm not sure in there? 2 Timothy 1.12 I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that He is able to guard me until the day that has been entrusted to me. And finally, Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, 
No things present, nor things to come, nor powers, no height, no depth, nor anything else in all creation. I am sure, Paul says, collapse that, I am sure that nothing in all creation will be able to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus my Lord. I am sure of it. Do you talk like that? Could you sincerely talk like that? So to summarize then, what assurance is, it is the felt certainty that you are saved. It is the certainty that you belong to God. Now, many Christians struggle to attain assurance. You can read about it in the Old Testament. I'll give you some examples in a minute. You can read about it in the New Testament. You can read about it all throughout church history. Even some of the greatest men and women of God who honestly wrote about their lack of assurance and the doubts that flooded their mind and the depression or despair that would even flood their mind. Many Christians, real Christians, struggle to attain assurance. It is possible. In fact, it is not uncommon to be saved and yet plagued with doubt. I said this at the beginning. Being saved and being certain you are saved, they are two different things. And many Christians struggle with that certainty. You're not alone. You're not alone. There are people here tonight who struggle to be certain that God loves them. The 1689 Confession even addresses this. Chapter 18, paragraph 3. This assurance is not such an essential part of faith that it is always fully experienced alongside faith. But true believers may wait a long time and struggle with many difficulties before obtaining it. Again, J.C. Ryle wrote, All God's children have faith, not all have assurance. I think this ought never to be forgotten. I do not shrink from saying that by grace, a man may have sufficient faith to flee to Christ, sufficient faith really to lay hold on Him, really to trust in Him, really to be a child of God, really to be saved, and yet, to His very last day, be never free from much anxiety, doubt, and fear. You can hear it in many of the Psalms. Psalm 88, verse 13. I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, 
Why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Or Psalm 77, verse 7. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger shut up his compassion? I mention this as an encouragement to you. If you struggle with assurance, that does not mean that you are not a Christian. Remember what Romans 10, 11 says. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. That does not say everyone who believes and has a strong, assuring faith in him will not be put to shame. But rather, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That's what assurance is. Where does assurance come from? Where does assurance come from? This brings us to our text in Romans 8. Here's where it does not come from. Assurance does not come from yourself. It is not something that you can conjure up. It's not something that you can manufacture. Certainty that you belong to God is not based on your accomplishments. It's not based on what other people said about you. Well, people say I'm a Christian, or people say I'm a really good person, or people say I do a lot of good things, and so I'm confident that God loves me. I'm confident that I belong to Him. It is not rooted in you being a good person. There's a lot of good persons out here. A lot of you are good people. I know many of you. And I'm sure you all think that you're a good person. You probably are, especially compared to a lot of other people. But that is not the reason that you should have assurance that you are saved. So Romans chapter 8. This is our text. Verses 15 and 16. It says this. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So here it is again, of all the things that you think of when you think of the Holy Spirit, or as long as you have been hearing about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, think about what you have heard about regarding His identity, regarding His ministry. This should be near the top of the list. Assurance is a gift, we read here, it is a gift 
from the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 16 that the Holy Spirit, who is within us as the promised presence of Christ, He is testifying to us, to our spirit, that we belong to God. And then the result of that is that we cry out to God as Father. Who would cry out to God as Father? His children would cry out to God as Father. So the Holy Spirit bears witness to our soul, to our spirit. You belong to God. He assures us. He gives us this certainty. You have been saved. And as we're certain of this, we believe this, we then cry out to God as Father. There's a very similar text. Many of you have read it. It's in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. Listen to how similar this is to our verses in Romans 8, but in Galatians 4, it is not us crying out, Father. It's not our spirit. It is actually the Holy Spirit crying out, Father. Galatians 4, verse 6 and 7. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That's not your spirit, that's the Holy Spirit. So, verse 7, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So put those together. The Holy Spirit is within you, and He will assure you that you belong to God. And so you will respond to God as Father. But then Galatians 4 says that sometimes that's not what's happening. It's not the Holy Spirit assuring you that you belong to God. He just goes rogue from within you and He just cries out on your behalf to God and says, Father. It's fascinating. Sinclair Ferguson wrote, There is one cry... But that cry has two sources, the consciousness of the believer and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The fact is that the Christian's own spirit, this is assurance, the Christian's own spirit does display an awareness of sonship as the rest of the New Testament makes clear. This is assurance. I know that I belong to God, and so I cry out to God as Father. I am assured. But, so what's this Holy Spirit going rogue? Galatians 4, the Spirit crying out. The problem, Sinclair Ferguson writes, and I wonder if you can relate to this as much as I can. The problem is that this awareness or this assurance it is often weakened. And God's children may even find themselves doubting their gracious status and privileges. What Paul is saying, however, in Galatians 4, 
is that even in the darkest hour, like that hour where you're not assured and you're not crying out to God as your father because you're not even sure if you're a child of God, even in the darkest hour, there is a cooperative and affirmative testimony given by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit, Paul writes, of adoptive sonship. He brings assurance to us that we are God's children. And so we cry out to God. And when we are weak and when we are doubting, He on our behalf cries out to God as our Father. This is part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So for just a minute, the result of this Holy Spirit work in us, you read in Romans 8 here, is that we cry out. It says we cry out, Abba, Father. The Greek word is kratzo. And it implies anguish or despair. So this is not Father. Oh, sweet Father. It's so good to be your child. Now maybe you feel that sometimes. This is Father. Father. The word Abba would better be translated into English as daddy. This implies as close a relationship as possible. And this word cry out is coming from anguish. It's coming from despair. You read about that demoniac in Mark chapter 5 that was possessed by demons. He cried out. He cried so. It's the same word here. You read about blind Bartimaeus who cried out when Jesus was at a distance, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus, Jesus, over here. It's kratzo. It's that cry out. It is the same word used to describe Jesus himself crying out in agony on the cross. So this is people in crisis. This is people who are doubting. This is people who are fearful. This is people who are in anguish. And it is in those times that the Holy Spirit's ministry is to draw alongside of you and to remind you, don't forget who you are. You are a child of God. Cry out to Him as your Father. If you don't, I will. Father, And those of you who are Christians and who have been through doubts and have been through despair and have been through fear, you know what this is like. It's very different. Some who are in anguish and some who were, are in despair sometimes learn in those seasons that they're not even Christians because their instinct is to shake their fist at God 
and to say, why me and how could you and why is this happening to me? Not to say Christians don't battle with that, but when that is abiding, that is not the Holy Spirit and that is not the talk of a Christian. Maybe temporarily, but the Christian ultimately cries out, Father, and raises his or her hands to God. Not questioning Him, not putting God in a corner, not angry with Him, but surrendering to Him as His child. It's like when those of you who have children and something happens and they're maybe around the corner in their bedroom or they're in the backyard and you're inside and they get hurt or they get scared and they cry out. And they cry out, Mommy, Daddy, help. That's exactly what Paul is talking about. You realize when Jesus was on the cross and he cried out in this way, do you remember what he cried out? At the bottom, as he was taking on the sin of the world, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That implies distance. Jesus felt like the relationship between he and the Father, which had been eternal, was severed. There was an experience of being cut off from God the Father. And so Jesus cried out in agony and despair. But even in that moment, even Jesus did not cry out, Father. He was separated from Him and cried out, My God, my God. The Holy Spirit comes to you, Christian, and enables you to cry out, Father. So where is assurance from? It is a gift from the Holy Spirit. And now in conclusion, how do we get it? If you don't want that, you're crazy. Some of you, it's elusive. Some of you have had it momentarily. It hits me in my devotional time. Sometimes intensely. For some of you it comes and it goes, but when you have that assurance, you see everything differently. You're more concerned about honoring God than ever before. You're more confident in whatever He has for you to do than ever before. You're less affected by other people and what they do to you or say to you than ever before. You're on like a different level when you are assured whatever happens, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, this body they may kill. I mean, whatever happens when you are totally assured that you belong to God and He belongs to you, that you are saved 
There is nothing like it. It is a precious gift of the Holy Spirit. And yet, what does Scripture say? What does the confession say? What did J.C. Ryle say? It may be there. It may not be there. You ought to pursue it, implying that it's not always there. So how do we get it? Well, let me give you three easy steps to assurance. If the goal is assurance, then what can we do? Some of you, you might have grown up in traditions. I did. I grew up in a tradition, and some of you may not even know this, that there are traditions of Christianity out there that actually discourage assurance. That it's good This is how it was told me. It is good for you to have a degree of doubt as you go through life because that keeps you pursuing God. That's how it was put. Now let me ask all of you dads. And this is just an illustration. I mean, I think we've made the point that Scripture is clear about this. But just as an illustration, all of you dads out there who have kids, is that how you parent your children? Is your goal that your kids would have a degree of doubt as to whether or not you love them? If your dad was like that, I'm sorry. That's a terrible thing. But I bet none of you dads feel that way. Well, I think if my kids are fearful that they're going to lose my love or they're going to lose my affection or that they don't totally have it, Then maybe they won't be as well behaved as they are. I want them to feel like they're always one step away from losing it. None of you do that. I'm going to assume that it is one of your great goals in life, as it is mine, that your children would never for a second doubt your love for them. And it is the exact same with God your Father in heaven. He desires that you would be assured of his love for you. So number one, definitely put off sin. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22 talks about this. Assurance is not an excuse to ignore sin and neglect holiness. So we're going to move on from this, but it needs to be said. Sometimes it is the case that you are lacking assurance because you are living a lazy Christian life. You're living an inconsistent Christian life. You're in total rebellion. You're not listening to God. You're not following Him. You're not seeking to love Him. It's like you've got a double life and you do not have any assurance. And we would say, of course you do not have assurance. And you need to take seriously your sin. So absolutely, if you're struggling with assurance, evaluate your life. Is there sin that needs to be dealt with? Now I find that's not the case with most of us who are struggling to find assurance. So let's move on number two of three here. Others are dealing with your sin. You're confessing your sin You're turning from your sin. 
you're fighting from your sin, but you still lack assurance. Well, the second thing you can do is put on the gospel. Meditate on the gospel. Understand the gospel. Remember the gospel. Many Christians, when they look at their sanctification, right, the process, they're discouraged because they see what a great sinner they are. I'm not who I should be. I'm not where I want to be. I don't read my Bible enough. Most of you are absolute experts at guilt. Some of you feel guilt all the time. You're never actually not feeling guilty for something. That's another sermon, but that's terrible. And it shouldn't be that way. And that's not the Christian life. But some of you, you see your sin and you face your sin and you see where you are and you connect that to your salvation and you start to have doubts and you start to have worries. You need to remind yourself of the gospel. The gospel was never you were good and you obeyed and so God accepted you and saved you. The gospel was God accepted you and saved you, so obey him. Not to get God's love, but because you have God's love. And so we constantly tend to operate in this non-gospel religion where it's performance-based. And if I have a good day, I've got assurance at the end of the day. And if I have a bad day, I don't have assurance at the end of the day. That's garbage. That is not the gospel. Good night. Do you treat your children that way? Well, son, you really blew it today. You know what that means? I don't love you anymore. If you're better tomorrow, I will love you. And I'll keep loving you until you're bad again. And when you're bad again, you know the deal. I won't love you anymore. Of course not. You, Christian, you have been saved by God. You have been adopted into his family. He will never, ever unadopt you. You are his child. He loves you always and forever. Your assurance is rooted in the truth of this gospel. And the Holy Spirit reminds us. Martin Luther, in the 1500s, he had a friend who struggled with this. Again, as many Christians do, his name was Jerome Weller. And he was just constantly dealing with doubts and discouragements and how can I be saved and how could God love me and facing his sin and lacking assurance. So in July of 1530, Luther said enough and he wrote him a letter. And here's a part of that letter. When the devil throws our sins up to us and declares we deserve death and hell, we ought to speak thus. I admit, I do deserve death and hell. What of it? Does this mean I shall be sentenced to eternal damnation? By no means. For gospel. For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction in my behalf. 
His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Where he is, there I shall be also. Did you hear that logic? Look to the gospel. You see your sin, your face with the reality of what a great sinner you are, and it takes away your assurance, and it fills you with doubt and fear. And you have that voice within you that says, See, you deserve death and hell. What do you do? Agree. Agree with Satan. You are right. I do deserve death. I do deserve hell. This was never about what I deserve. But I have a Savior. I am a great sinner. But He is a greater Savior. And I'm not saved by what I do. I'm saved because of what He did on my behalf. It turns that condemnation on its head. It turns that doubt, that fear on its head. So we put off sin, put on the gospel, and then finally look to Christ. That's very similar to the second point, I know. But specifically, the gospel, the good news about who Jesus is and what he has done, specifically, the God-man, Jesus, look to him. Kevin DeYoung wrote, The truth of Christ occupies our minds. The promises of Christ comfort our souls. The beauty of Christ stirs our affections. And the commands of Christ move our spirits. As we attend to this means of grace, he encourages and affirms assurance within us. Look to Christ. We look to Christ through these means of grace that he has given us. What does that mean? The means by which we experience the grace of God, the love of God. This is practically and tangibly how you look to Christ. You pray to get close to Christ. You read your Bible to get close to Christ. You take communion to get close to Christ. You fellowship with Christians, getting close to his body to get close to Christ. It's all pursuing him. It's all looking to him. And it is all essential. If we're going to live this life in this world as redeemed sinners struggling through our doubts and through our fears and through our anxieties to put on the gospel, to deal with our sin, and to look to Christ. So assurance is this felt certainty that I belong to God. And it is a precious gift from the Holy Spirit. I pray that we all, in increasing measure, would enjoy this assurance as we look to Christ. I said it a moment ago. One of the ways we look to Christ is through His Supper, 
through the Lord's Supper. That's why it's called communion. Fellowshipping. We're communing with Christ. We're communing with one another. So we have opportunity right now to look to Christ and to be assured of our salvation. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's exactly what we do tonight. So you're welcome to take communion tonight if you are a Christian. If you have turned from your sin and you have placed your faith in Christ, understanding the good news of his gospel. You have been baptized as a believer to show that faith to others, and you now live for him. You are in community not only with him, but with his body. And so you are committed to a local church, whether it is this one or another one, where you hear the preaching of his gospel. That's what a Christian is. If you're a Christian, you are welcome to take communion tonight. I'll pray in a moment, and then we have leaders who are going to come and serve you. Uh, we ask that you would stand up if you want to receive communion. We'll do our best to just place the emblems in your hands. And then once you've been served communion, if you could sit down so that we know that you've been served, and then wait, and we'll all take it together as a family. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for our time together out here tonight. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who often and even in dark times reminds us who we belong to. Thank you, God, for making a way for us to be adopted into your family. We love you. We give you all praise, glory, and honor. We pray you'd be glorified now as we look to fellowship with you, to commune with you, and would you now assure us of our salvation. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.